Welcome to Driving Forces, your weekly news show where we focus on the headlines and the headliners, the people and topics that are dominating discussion. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and on Driving Forces, my wonderful co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, and I invite on guests who share their insights about the world around us and delve into discussions about city, state, and national politics. So we've got a great show ahead for you today. But first, please join me in giving a hearty round of applause for my wonderful co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. <laughs> Jeff, I missed you so much last week. So glad to be back here on the air with you. I, I made a point, folks, of trying to just check out for a few days mentally, just kind of regroup. I'm sure, like many of you, uh, during the pandemic, things have been nonstop. And it's just this, you know, the business we're in has been crazy busy. And it's just I needed a few days off. So Celeste, thank you for holding down the fort. I heard you had a great show. And we're looking forward to another great one today. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a very exciting show. We have a lot to talk about. And I don't know if I want to let you, Jeff, pop the uh, pop the news here about uh, one of our later guests in the program. But I think this is going to be a good one. Somebody we've been waiting to welcome back. Welcome back to the program for a long time. I wonder who that is. Celeste, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to give you the glory because Jeff was really the one who was able to make this possible for us here today on Driving Forces. But a little bit later in the program, we are going to be hearing live from Mayor Eric Adams. And we have lots and lots of questions to ask him. Feel free to tweet at us at Forces Driving or at Celeste Katz NYC or at Jack Heights. That's Jeff uh, Jeff's alter ego on Twitter. Let us know what you want to uh, hear about from the mayor. I think we only have him for a limited time, Jeff. We go, we're going to do the best we can, right? Yeah. And there's been so much in the news this week, not just that uh, impacts the mayor, but that impacts all of you, all of our listeners. You know, uh, one thing I do want to go to that's, that's been a big news in political circles this week. I'm sure if you have not heard about it, we're going to inform you now that yesterday the state's court of appeals struck down the Congressional and State Senate district maps finding that they were unconstitutional partisan gerrymander that favored the Democrats. So in that ruling, the judges said that the enactment of the Congressional and Senate maps by the legislature was procedurally unconstitutional. So what happens next? I was talking to someone who whose wife is running for office and they're not even sure what's happening with the district lines. You know, I know a number of people who've been petitioning. What does this mean for petitioning? What does this mean for the primary date? A lot, you know, this is not going to end today or this week. It's going to go on uh, considerably longer. We will keep you posted on developments since we all know. Uh, since as soon as we know, we will let you know, our listeners. Absolutely. And, you know, this has been a very, very big week uh, for news, uh, day for news, but a week for news also. And, you know, nationally watching a lot of things just real briefly, you've certainly been watching what's going to be happening with Twitter. What's going to be happening with Elon Musk and Twitter? Is it really going to happen? What kind of changes would he make? Would he make it a, a better platform? Would he make it a more opaque and secretive platform? Who would be, uh, who would be amplified with that change? That's going to be a very big deal. And also, as you mentioned, Jeff, uh, the pandemic continuing to affect our lives. But we are hearing from Dr. Anthony Fauci that we are 
out of at least this phase or the, uh, you know, the sort of red alert phase of the pandemic. But this is definitely something that is going to continue to direct us effect, uh, uh, directly affect us for a long time to come. And of course, the ramifications of the damage caused to our society, to our economy, those things are still going to be reverberating throughout the country and throughout New York City, Jeff. Yeah. And again, there's so much going on. We're going to talk with the mayor later on in the show about his first state of the city, which took to, took place in Brooklyn, where he discussed his first hundred days uh, in other news. And that's going to bring us into the main topic that we have today. In other news yesterday, the governor, Kathy Hochul, announced that the state is going to increase funding for a program to assist Holocaust survivors. That's part of the Holocaust Survivors Initiative. And that brings us to today's topic, anti-Semitism on this Holocaust Remembrance Day. Uh, this is a day to remember the Holocaust known as Yom HaShoah. It was established by law in Israel in 1959, falls on the 27th day of the Jewish month of Nisan, which was chosen because it's the anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Anti-Semitism was the foundation of this day with uh, you know, hatred and prejudice against Jews as a basic tenet of Nazi ideology. And uh, incidents of anti-Semitism from vandalism to violent crimes against people are on the rise. Just this week, the Anti-Defamation League released an incredibly disturbing report that showed last year New York, unfortunately, maintained its lead in total reported anti-Semitic incidents across the United States. 416 incidents in 2021 that represented a 20 4% increase from those reported in 2020. Uh, at that time, the ADL had reported 336 incidents in the state, and that was 15% of the anti-Semitic incidents reported across the country. Not something New York wants to be a leader in, but unfortunately, that is what we are seeing in the research. So why does this continue to rise? What does this say about the climate in our country? And that brings us to our first guest, New York State Senator Anna Kaplan. The senator is serving her second term as a senator representing the 7th district, Senate District, which includes the northwest portion of Nassau County. Her election victory in 2018 made her the first political refugee and first Iranian-American elected to the New York State Senate. She chairs the Senate Committee on Commerce, Economic Development, and Small Business. And during her tenure, she's focused on a number of issues such as gun safety, reproductive rights, women's rights, educational equity, and among a number of other issues. This week, a piece of her legislation calling for Holocaust education reporting advanced through the state legislature. She said at the time that learning the lessons of the Holocaust has taken on a new urgency in recent weeks, as we've all watched in horror as a peaceful European nation was invaded under false pretenses, cynically using Holocaust misinformation as an excuse to do so. Senator Kaplan, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I intentionally did not read your full bio because you have a very interesting backstory, and I'd love for our listeners to learn more about you and what brought you to the United States as a child. So, Jeff, I have to start by saying I am living the American dream. I came to this country at age 13 through the Lubavitcher community. It was after the Iran Revolution, and there was fear of persecution of Jews in Iran. And my parents were not able to leave at that time, so I came with 39 other children. And after I came, uh, my parents left Iran six months later and tried to come to U.S., but regrettably, 
Iranian um, government took over the embassy and held hostages, and the United States stopped issuing visas to any Iranian. It took two years for them to come to this country and for our family to join again together and uh, become one and apply for political asylum in this great country that we all call home. And what was it about your experience, Senator, growing up, uh, having, you know, having traveled across the world in this way and for these reasons that made you want to pursue public office? Celeste, I have to tell you, uh, I never thought I would run for office. It, it, it was the furthest thing from my mind. But coming from Iran and as a Jewish person, um, Jews did not participate. We did not have a voice. We did not vote. And um, I thought it's really important for the Jewish Iranian community here, for all of the Iranians, really, for that matter, to understand the importance of their civic duty, to register and to vote, and to make sure that their voices are being heard. I ran so that I can make sure that... um, the issues and the concerns that really matter to us matter to our representatives. And in 2018, I ran for New York State Senate, and I was blessed enough to be able to get elected. And I proudly represent the 7th Senate District, which is a very, very diverse district in every way possible. If you're just joining us, we're speaking to State Senator Anna Kaplan. And Senator, we wanted to ask you, uh, especially today, we wanted to ask you about your uh, legislation regarding Holocaust education. This is something that uh, people have been talking about nationally, but in very different ways. In some states, we have seen restrictions on what parts of American history and world history can be taught in classrooms. Uh, tell me about why this was important to you and basically what you want children to take away from this. Well, I think when we talk about Holocaust, we are talking about part of the history that is really difficult to speak and to teach about. It is a dark part of the history of humankind. But just because it's difficult to talk about, that does not mean that we should stop talking about it and does not mean that we should stop teaching it to our children and the generations after them. If anything else, I think it's even more important in light of the fact that we've seen anti-Semitism and hate growing, not just in New York State, not just in this country, but all over. I think we all owe it to each other and to our children to do a much better job of teaching them about our dark history because I truly believe when we don't learn from our history, we are doomed to repeat it again. This is really important to me. I'm sorry, Senator. The, the legislation itself, what would it yeah. do? Because I, I've been following the news this week and I saw that you uh, were, it was able to advance from the uh, Senate Education Committee this week. So I'd love to know our listeners to know exactly what the legislation would do and where it stands right now. 
So the reason we actually I sponsored the legislation was based on a report that the claims conference put out, and those stats were horrifying. They were telling us 58% of millennials can't even name a single concentration camp. 19% Jews, 19% believe Jews caused Holocaust. 28% believe Holocaust is a myth or has been exaggerated. This is the stats that we get in New York, which is home to so many Holocaust survivors. We have failed to teach our children the basics of Holocaust. What my bill does is basically finding out what is being taught at schools. Why are we getting these terrible stats? What do we need to do in order to teach our children better and make sure that they understand what happened and they have a better understanding? And I think by them understanding and having a better education, a lot of anti-Semitism would not be occurring. We had an incident in my district, that's just one incident out of many, that a young adult went and threw swastikas at a school. I believe if that young person was taught what that swastika means, would never do that. I think a good education would really help us with the anti-Semitism that we're dealing right now. So it seems that you've had progress in the Senate, but not so much in the Assembly this week. Uh, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, that that has not moved forward yet. But there was a signal from the governor that the governor said she'd work with the legislature to pass this important piece of legislation. Talk about where you, or at least even in the Assembly, where there's some resistance and why there has been some resistance. So I can tell you I'm really proud that the governor actually endorsed my bill. Yes, she's very much on board, and um, hopefully we can get this bill through the finish line. We did pass it in our uh, uh, Committee for Education. It went unanimously, bipartisan. Everyone voted for it. I can't wait for it to come to the Senate floor for us to vote on it, bipartisan and again unanimously. Um, with respect to the assembly, I can't really talk. Um, I, I can't speak for assembly. It's a different branch of government. But what I would urge every one of your listeners that understand the importance of this bill to reach out to their senator, to their assembly member, and to express the need for us to pass this bill and to move it forward. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons, and we are speaking to New York State Senator Anna Kaplan about new Holocaust education legislation that she is advancing in Albany through the state legislature. And Senator, I just want to step back for a minute and go back to the root causes. We've been talking about the incidents that we've been seeing. You mentioned a specific incident in your district with somebody drawing swastikas. Do you uh, have any thoughts about why are we seeing this dramatic increase in the number of 
of incidents targeting Jews. Why is that? I think it really, again, goes back to the lack of education. It is unfortunate what we are experiencing. Hate crimes being up, and yes, based on the ADL, new reports showing that anti-Semitism has increased 24%. We're at all-time high. And I think it really is incumbent on all of us to do everything we can, all of our leaders, from both sides of the aisle, to forcefully come out and try to get at the root of this. We can't accept this kind of hate in our communities. We cannot accept this kind of hate in the state of New York which has always been a beacon of democracy, a state that welcomes people from all over the world, all types of immigrants from all different religions. We all have to work together to make sure that we combat this at the root. And, and, and on that, to that point, um, you know, education is, is certainly very important. No question about that. But education and formal schooling can only go so far is how much of this problem do you think needs to be addressed in the community and in the home specifically? If children are seeing this kind of behavior modeled, they can bring that with them to school or to work or wherever they may go. How much of this depends on parenting? Plus, that's a great point. Hate is not something that we're born with. It's a learned behavior. You know, and if children are learning that at home, if we do a better job at school, maybe that child could learn something and take that back to home and have that discussion with the parents or their caretakers. And, and would, would... Right. we need to deal with it as a community. Parents have to deal with it, community leaders, um, religious leaders. We all have to talk about this and teach better. And Senator Kaplan, in in terms of what you're proposing, I know Jeff asked you about it a moment ago, but just wanted to check in on, on the specifics. Would you be talking about developing a specific curriculum that children throughout uh, the state of New York, schools throughout the state of New York, uh, would be required to teach or at least to, to model their curriculum on? Um, and would this also apply to children who are in private education? No, this is already in New York State law. It's already part of our curriculum. We are supposed to be teaching that to our children. We're just noticing now, we're just learning that we're not doing a good job of teaching it. So it's a matter of finding in what areas it's working, how they're teaching it, what they're doing, and apply those same standards maybe to other areas that is not working and that's you know, just sitting down and putting a video or a movie for children to watch is not the same as really teaching Holocaust. We need to engage our children and have discussions. We need to make sure it's a meaningful education that they're receiving. And, Senator, I know we're going to have to wrap in about a minute or so. Uh, where... Um you know, when you think about the significance of this day, 
you know, for all the survivors out there in, in, uh, in the greater New York City area, because I work with the Museum of Jewish Heritage, I work with a number of survivors, so I've come to know them well. But for those who might even be listening right now, share your thoughts about the significance of this day and what people should remember. I think we can't just say never again and just use it as a phrase. I think we, each and every one of us, can take an active role and do our part. Um, I am really, truly sorry to see the rise to this level. And as I said before, we need to do a better job and have a meaningful education for our children. We are failing our children right now. And we all, I think, myself as an elected, I think teachers as educators, parents as parents, we all want to do right by our children and not teaching this history to our children. We're doing a disservice to them. Senator Anna Kaplan, we always wish we had more time because it's a very important topic. But if people want to learn more about you and about this legislation and about the work that you're doing, where can they go? They can certainly go to Kaplan at nysenate.gov. They can look at the bill, read about the bill. If they have any questions, we're more than happy to engage them and answer the questions for them. Um, it's Kaplan, K-A-P-L-A-N dot nysenate.gov and they can learn more about me, the district that I represent and I'm always happy true that I represent the 7th Senate District but what we do impacts the entire state and if there's something that I can do to help them out, by all means my door is always open New York State Senator Anna Kaplan, thank you so much for joining us here on Driving Forces today we really appreciate hearing from you Thank you. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. And today we are uh, marking Holocaust Remembrance Day. And later in the program, uh, we will also be hearing from the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. Right, Jeff? Yes, we will. And I know that we're going to have a guest on from the claims conference in just a few minutes, uh, Gideon Taylor, uh, who's going to share with us a little about how they are uh, marking Holocaust Remembrance Day. Uh, in the meantime, Celeste is going to give you a few statistics. Oh, actually, I'll give you a few of those statistics because we've been talking about the ADL um, report that came out. And, you know, for those who live in the five boroughs, I found this really interesting to see, uh, to see the increase in anti-Semitic incidents. So I just want to give you those statistics and we'll get to our guest that from 2020 to 2021, anti-Semitic incidents in the Bronx increased by, you ready for this? 144%. Unbelievable. I mean, they, de- they dropped in Brooklyn and Staten Island, increased by 33% in Manhattan and Queens, but 144% in the Bronx, which is just simply astounding. So today, as, uh, as we, if you're just tuning in, We've been discussing anti-Semitism, and earlier this morning, the Conference on Jewish Material Claims Against Germany, what is known as the Claims Conference, 
unveiled the 100 Words Project, which is a video segment featuring 100 survivors from here in the U.S. and across the globe asking the world to stand with them and remember on Holocaust Remembrance Day or Yom HaShoah. The Claims Conference has published many survivor-led campaigns over the years, including their most recent Don't Be a Bystander campaign, highlighting the non-Jews who saved Jews during the Holocaust. Now, today's video is a call to action. So before we bring on our guest, Gideon's going to come on in just a moment. Before we bring on our guest, we want to share some of the audio from that video with you. Reggie, can you play that clip for about, say, 30, 45 seconds for our listeners to hear? Today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. You're just listening to a portion of the 100 Words campaign presented by the Claims Conference today and including 100 Holocaust survivors. This effort was led by the Conference on Jewish Material Claims Against Germany, or the Claims Conference. That's a nonprofit organization founded in 1951 to secure compensation for the Holocaust survivors around the world. And as a result of negotiations with the Claims Conference, the German government has paid more than $90 billion in indemnification to individuals suffering, uh, who suffered losses, uh, from the Holocaust resulting from persecution by the Nazis. Last year, the claims conference distributed about uh, 820 million in compensation to more than 210,000 survivors in 83 countries. If you want to think about the scope of that for the minute, um, and allocated uh, over 650 million in grants to over 300 social service agencies nationwide, excuse me, worldwide. Gideon Taylor is the president of the board of directors of the claims conference. He previously was executive vice president. Um, he's led complex negotiations regarding compensation and restitution with foreign governments, including Germany and Austria, as well as the banking and manufacturing sectors. Mr. Taylor currently serves as chief executive officer of the Jewish Community Relations Council of New York. Gideon Taylor, welcome to Driving Forces here on WBAI. Thank you very much for having me. Um, such an important day, and I just appreciate you going into and delving into these issues. So important. Thank you for having me. So we want to start out, we, we are going to talk more about, of course, the, the Holocaust, as we well should. But today, just to bring things into sort of a modern day focus, want to talk, uh, talk about the conflict in Ukraine. Claims Conference has traditionally provided compensation to survivors and funded humanitarian relief organizations in Ukraine. Can you talk about how Claims Conference responded to assist survivors who are living in Ukraine? Yeah, it was... It, for us, Ukraine in some ways is such a symbolic place of, of, of the horrors of the Holocaust and then the horrors of Holocaust survivors and, of course, all Ukrainians are feeling today. There's somewhere around 10,000 Holocaust survivors in Ukraine. And for them, they're, they're reliving what 
they were born with. They were born into war and destruction and mass genocide. And today they're faced with the horrors of war coming to the end of their lives. So for us, this was a high priority. So we did a few things. One was to send food and supplies in to the social service programs that we fund in, uh, in Ukraine. And secondly, is to help those Holocaust survivors who wanted to leave, and particularly those who have no families, because there are some with no families who are living alone at, at, at home. And we work very closely with the German government, with organizations like the Joint Distribution Committee and others. Um, we organized ambulances to take homebound Holocaust survivors because they couldn't travel on a bus. Um, and we brought somewhere around 90 Holocaust survivors out from Ukraine. Uh, they're in uh, Germany now. And it was a huge logistical undertaking. But each one of those Holocaust survivors is, uh, you know, they're heroes. And it is so hard to see them have to go through what they're going through after everything that they survived, um, you know, all those years ago during the Holocaust. We would imagine that the war with Russia has revived past traumas from many of these survivors living in the Ukraine. In Ukraine, is that what you've heard? Exactly. Uh, it's you know, I, survivors have said, "I never in my life imagined that I would live again through war." That uh, and and it brings back memories. It takes them back, and and the physical hardship. So it's not only the the triggers of the emotional. Um, but the hardship, and uh, we've done our best and worked so closely, and so many people have worked, and, and workers, and aid workers, and social workers. You know, we weren't sure that we could continue providing the home care when it, the invasion started. The home care workers, local Ukrainians who go in every day to help elderly Holocaust survivors that's funded by the Claims Conference, continue to go in throughout, during, even uh, with, in, with the invasion, with uh, rockets, um, there are so many people who care so deeply about Holocaust survivors. And um, I, I look, I think it's an obligation for all of us because what's happened to them and what's happening to them, this is something for all of us, for our whole society to, to care about and to be aware of. Gideon Taylor is president of the board of directors of the Claims Conference. And uh, Mr. Taylor, we are talking, of course, today about Holocaust Remembrance Day. We heard right before you joined us on air uh, part of the audio from a, a video that you have released featuring 100 Holocaust survivors from across the globe. Tell us a little bit more about that video and what message do you want people to take away when they see and hear that? The reason why we helped survivors make this video was because we feel we have an obligation not only to help with material help, which is such a big part of our work, but also to give them a megaphone so that their voices can be heard. And as we know, there's fewer and fewer Holocaust survivors alive. We will face a time when there are no survivors alive to speak in their own voice to tell what happened to them. So therefore, we think it's so important that their voice be heard and that's what we've done with this video. It's to take it one word at a time, and you heard in the audio, in six different languages, word here, a word there, to put together a message which says, remember what happened, understand what happened, learn from what happened. Um, and I think that's the message that we want people to take away. And it's not the message of the claims conference, it's the message of Holocaust survivors. Um, as they say in the video, we must remember the past, or it will become our future. 
And I think the message is not a backwards-looking message. It's a forwards-looking message. It's a message that says, understand the history, understand how things happened and what happened, and learn about it for the future. And I think Holocaust survivors are incredibly forward-looking people, despite everything that happened to them. So, uh, uh, so hor- such horrific things that happened to them in the past. And part of the reason why it's so upsetting and frustrating to see the kinds of statistics that we have seen in this new report from the Anti-Defamation League is that for many years, we have been hearing this message of never forget. We have been marking Holocaust Remembrance Day. We have been teaching or thought we had been teaching uh, in, in our schools. Where are we falling short in terms of making people understand this idea of, of past could be future if if we handle this wrong where where are we falling short you know i think what what i take away from the the what we see happening in society and it's sometimes it's actions and sometimes it's words our previous social media campaign was called it started with words and their holocaust survivors said described what happened to them that started with things that were said the holocaust didn't start with concentration camps and ghettos it started with things that people said. So I think the message of relevance for today is there so strongly. I think we have to find ways to make sure we can communicate it, and particularly to a younger generation that learns differently from the way our generation learned uh, 10, 20, 50, 30 years ago. Um, we need to use the tools that young people use, which is why, for example, this video is on social media. We need to use social media. We need to use uh, tools and methods of communication that will resonate. We have to find messages. You know, it used to be that books were the way to communicate knowledge. Then there were films. You know, the world's changing, and we need to change with it. And the message of the Holocaust is a universal one. It's a timeless one. And we need to adapt that message and the way of communicating that message to make sure it's heard by a younger generation that knows so little about what happened, um, but is so important for the future of our country. And it's so interesting that you're bringing up the younger generation, because I remember from the uh, statistics that were issued uh, across the 50 states, looking at uh, or exploring knowledge about the Holocaust, how in many states, how small the percentage was of young adults or youth that had ever visited a Holocaust museum. So I th- and also in talking with the Senator earlier in the show about uh, checking, really monitoring legislation that would monitor and determine if the, uh, if New York state is teaching, if many schools are teaching about the Holocaust, um, you know, in classrooms, if that's happening are important as well. I want to just go a little more um, step back just a bit. And I'm thinking about the last two years uh, amid the pandemic and about how many of us have been impacted. Now, on a personal level, based on my work, I've talked to a number of survivors uh, about how they've felt isolated, alone, how they've uh, dealt with this, with the pandemic. How has the claims conference work? Uh, uh, how have you had to pivot in the claims conference to assist Holocaust survivors amid the pandemic? It's it's been a challenge because, uh, you know, as you say, for Holocaust survivors, you know, sometimes the thing they feared most was isolation, which is exactly what the pandemic led to. And uh, so, you know, what was critically important was to continue the services 
uh, to ensure that they were done as safely as possible, to make sure that home care workers, because we fund home care, not just in Ukraine, all over the world, including in New York, where a very substantial uh, number of Holocaust survivors uh, live, somewhere around a third of all Holocaust survivors in the United States live in New York. This is very much a, an issue of such importance uh, for New York. And as the executive of the Jewish Community Relations Council, with that hat on, it's, a, it's such an important issue for the Jewish community. So finding ways to help the social service agencies. At the beginning, we were getting, getting um, emergency supplies uh, for the agency so they would have uh, PPE uh, to help them continue the home care, to continue that social connection. We tried to find ways to use as much as we could technology to do that. Um, and it's a challenge, and it has been a challenge. And I think it was really hard for Holocaust survivors. And we've worked uh, to try to help those social service agencies find ways uh, to do, to gather safely, uh, to offer, to, do, to, to send uh, help in, in ways that we didn't before and couldn't before. Um, so I think it's a challenge and, and, uh, and one that's still with us, still with us now. Gideon Taylor, we really appreciate you taking the time, especially today, to join us here on WBAI and to to talk about this. I'm sure there are people who will want to find out more about you and the work of the claims the claims conference. Where can people go to find out more? So the best place is our website, um, and uh, where just Google claims conference, and um, you'll see uh, there information about. Making about, and if you know of Holocaust survivors who maybe are not getting services, um, certainly we have a team of people who work and help Holocaust survivors to make sure they're getting every kind of assistance they can from the German government uh, and from other uh, sources. Um, so, yes, so we look forward to connecting with people and, um, and you know, thank you for this opportunity. It's uh, such an important day um, for us and for Holocaust survivors. And thank you for giving uh, their voice. Uh, a megaphone because uh, their voice is just so important for us all. Gideon Taylor, thank you so much for appearing here today on WBAI. Thank you very much. And just for our listeners, you can uh, go to claimscon.org. You can learn more. You can find the video. It's also up on their Facebook page. If you just go onto Facebook and look up Claims Conference, you'll find that video prominently there. Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to have Mayor Adams on the line, Celeste. Yeah, that's going to be a really interesting conversation. Really looking forward to that and hope you'll stay tuned right here. 95.5 FM. First, though, we want to remind you that we can only bring you important conversations like the ones we are having today about Holocaust Remembrance Day. The conversation we have coming up in just a few moments with Mayor Eric Adams. We can only do all of this with your support. We are not supported by corporate America. We are not supported by commercials for Coke or Google or IBM or any of those people. Instead, we are only here on the air thanks to our listeners. So please take a few moments today. Support non-commercial, non-corporate free speech radio. Go to WBAI.org and become a WBAI buddy. That means you become a sustaining member with recurring donations every month uh, and that you will... um, you can join in the the name of your favorite program. Maybe it's Driving Forces. Maybe it is City Watch, Jeff's other program. So go to WBAI.org or you can even call 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950. Reggie, our always helpful engineer, notes that I may have uh, 
confused our frequency with my college radio frequency. So we are here at 99.5 FM in New York, Jeff. And so while we wait for the mayor to call in, we're going to take a very short break. We're going to queue up a song just to play for you, just for a brief break. So just uh, go grab another cup of coffee and don't uh, don't change that station. Now we're going to leave you with uh, In Any Other World by Micah. Reggie, you can play that song. Thought you lived in to the world you've caught you lived in. 
and welcome back to WBAI 99.5 FM. You were just listening to In Any Other World by Micah. Today we've been focusing on combating anti-Semitism on this Holocaust Remembrance Day, Celeste. Right. Absolutely. We have seen uh, any number of uh, hate crimes, not just in the city, but across the country. Uh, there's some of the figures that we've been discussing today from the Anti-Defamation League skim the surface. We're not just talking about incidents involving crimes against people because of their religion or their perceived religion. During the pandemic, we witnessed a surge of attacks against the Asian American community in our city. Uh, mayor Eric Adams made addressing crime a centerpiece of his campaign for the mayoralty. And earlier this week, he shed light on some of his plans to combat the surge of crime that has racked the city. Uh, it was reported today that he'll be meeting with top brass at NYPD to solicit ideas on how to address these issues. Also talking about maybe changing some of the behaviors of certain officers, people we see on the street. We're going to be talking all about that right now and the mayor's first 100 days in office. So Mayor Eric Adams, a pleasure to welcome back to WBAI. Pleasure to be on WBAI. Many years I uh, have uh, been on this show and I've talked about these real important issues that impact us. So, Mr. Mayor, just to start with the crime issue, because obviously that's been on a lot of people's minds. Uh, in your speech in Brooklyn earlier in the week, you said, quote, we will do what's necessary to make all of our communities safe. Uh, as you're parceling that out, what is your sort of top of mind for you? What do you want people who are listening to this program right now to know about what you are going to do to make the city safer? Well, it's a combination. And I talk about this all the time, uh, that there are many rivers that be uh, the sea of violence in our city and in our country, and dam each river, uh, we are going to continue to fail. And, you know, one of the most important rivers to dam is how I implement police practices in the city. And it has to be of both justice and safety. We can't go back to the days of heavy-handed policing, and that is what I'm focusing on. So what have we done thus far? Number one, we put in place a, an anti-gun unit, neighborhood safety teams. Uh, we have been um, zeroing in on guns and gangs. We have removed over 2,500 guns off the streets of the city in the last few months. Just you know, I want New Yorkers just to think about that number. It states that we have a constant flow. So although NYPD are doing their job, uh, the constant flow of guns is just making this challenging. Then we have to dam the river of our court system. The system is clogged. We are seeing individuals who are carrying guns out the next day. Very violent people are persistent about harming innocent New Yorkers. If we don't start getting the courts up and operating, uh, it's going to continue to feed into this violence uh, during the summer months. Uh, but at the same time, we have to be preventive as we deal with the intervention. And that's why when you look at the budget, uh, we highlighted what we're doing around dyslexia screening. 30% of our prisoners in this country are dyslexic. Uh, dealing with mental health uh, issues that we're facing. Uh, leaning and supporting our foster care children. Six to 700 age out every year. And we know the outcomes without the right support. It's just not going to allow them to be productive citizens. So this is a complex approach, a complex problem. that we need the federal and state to also make sure the rivers that they are responsible, uh, that are damned as well. 
And, and Mayor Adams, uh, one of the focal points has been uh, crime in the subways. People fearful about riding the trains. We've seen some some horrifying incidents uh, of, of mass violence, but we've also seen uh, individual incidents. One of the things that you've talked about is uh, helping people who are homeless uh, out of train stations, off the trains. Some people have been critical of that uh, because they say there's no way for the, nowhere for these people to go. Some people have been specifically critical that handing out literature, brochures about homeless shelters that sound better than what we have now, but actually aren't open and functioning isn't really the answer. What do you say to critics who say that that basically handing out a flyer is not going to solve this problem? Uh, I tell those critics uh, about coming into the subway station and giving you the problem. Uh, it's easy to be a tax spectator and sit in the beaches of life and don't want to get in the field and help people in need. Our everyday brothers and sisters and neighbors are living on the streets, and they're living on the subway system. That is not dignified, and that's not going to happen while I'm the mayor of the city of New York. I've visited our shelters. I know the investment we're making in safe haven beds. I know the conditions of our shelters as we continue to make them safer every day. But no one is going to tell me that living in a tunnel or living in a tent with human waste drug paraphernalia, unable to have a shower, food, medical care. I am not accepting the belief that that is acceptable in this city. And I know my team is doing a good job. The first two weeks with the transit initiative, we only had 22 people that took our service. Now 700 people have responded to our service because we're building trust. So all the people who are critics, stop criticizing and come inside the subway system and be a partner with us. We've known this homeless problem has existed for generations, and people continue to stand on the sidelines and say what's wrong. Stop saying what's wrong and come be a partner like Norman Siegel is going to do of getting volunteers to join us and being compassionate for our brothers and sisters who are living on hard times. And Mayor Eric Adams, uh, just one more question on transit before I let Jeff have a, a moment here, get a word in. But uh, you said that if people see uh, transit officers or, or police officers on their phones, not paying attention to what's going on around them, they should give you a call. Has anybody called you? Anybody sent you a picture? People sent me several pictures. And the purpose of the pictures is not enforcement, is not to harm people. The pur- purpose of the, of the pictures is to really do the proper training on what's expected. Think about the last eight years in this city. Uh, The last eight years, we have witnessed the mixed messages that we've sent police officers. Someone jumped a turnstile. We say we're not going to prosecute that. Uh, Someone decides they're going to walk into a store and steal something. Uh, There's been a low move to actually prosecute those repeated cases. Uh, You can't send mixed messages in a city uh, as diverse as New York uh, with so many different people and how they think. I'm sending a clear message. Disorder is not acceptable. If someone can't pay their fare, we've invested a substantial amount of tax dollars into the reduced fare metro card so we can go after those New Yorkers and give them the assistance they need. And there are ways to get on the subway system if you can't pay Jumping the turnstile is not one of them. 
I am not going to buy into the theory that because we have an expectation of behavior, that that is criminalizing poverty. That is not. My budget is a budget that goes to those areas of poverty and give the assistance to New Yorkers so that we can help people during this difficult time. With any and everything goes, that is not acceptable. And, Mayor, I know we only have a few minutes left. I do want to ask one more crime question, and I know Celeste has questions. We've been focusing today's show uh, a lot on data that came out from the Anti-Defamation League that really showed a significant increase in anti-Semitic incidents in New York, in New York State, and with the majority of them happening in New York City. Why do you feel that people feel it is okay to attack Jews? Well, I think it's a combination. I think it's the city that we live in and the country that we live in. Uh, I believe that uh, the former president uh, made people comfortable and displaying openly uh, some of their hate and dislike. It's not to say that anti-Semitism uh, came about during the former administration, uh, but it's clear that in 2021, it was one of the most highest uh, level of anti-Semitism in our, in our, uh, our city. And in previous years, you saw a steady increase in anti-Semitism. Uh, but I think the approach must be a holistic approach. What do I mean by that? Uh, number one, there should be a no plea bargain, bargaining rule if someone is charged with anti-Semitism. You should not plea bargaining down to harassment. A person should be fully prosecuted based on uh, the hate crime that they display. Number two, we are a segregated city. And our children are constantly being raised in a segregated city. And we have to stop having a segregated city. We have to cross-pollinate cultures and ideas because just as we're seeing an increase in anti-Semitism, you're seeing what's happened to our AAPI community, our LGBTQ plus community. Hate is finding a root in our city, and we need to send a strong message that hate has no place here. Education in our schools, let's teach how we learn from each other and celebrate our diversity. Let's make sure we do the things like my breaking bread, building bonds, 100 dinners, 10 people at each dinner from different cultures so we can learn from each other. We have to be more aggressive and proactive by stopping the feeders of hate. And I know in the final few minutes, I just want to squeeze in something. I know that tomorrow you're going to be delivering one of the eulogies uh, for firefighter Timothy Klein, who was killed earlier this week when the ceiling collapsed. What's the message you're going to convey tomorrow at his funeral? Well, I met the dad today, and not only was his dad a firefighter, but his, his grandfather was a police officer. This is a family with a history of serving the people of this city. And I know the tragic, the tragedies that we are seeing with the loss of life. And it doesn't matter if it's from a firefighter and a young man that also died in that fire in addition to the firefighter. Uh, it is my message that we need each other at this moment. There's been so much pain um, from COVID, from crime, from uh, the feeling as though that one has been abandoned. We need to live the lives we're living in the spirit of our fallen brothers and sisters who are experiencing this pain every day. And that is my message to New Yorkers. We need each other. And I'm going to remain true to my belief that this is one of the greatest cities. And our display of compassion is something that has 
cascaded throughout this entire country, if not the globe. You've been very generous with your time, Mayor. I just have a, a couple more very quick questions. Talking more generally about uh, your first 100 days and going forward, on the issue of transparency, there's been some back and forth about you releasing your tax forms, your full tax returns. Now you say that you will release some tax information. Can you tell us a little bit more about what information you will be releasing and when you will be releasing it? Nope, can't tell you any more about that. I spoke about that for two days about taxes and that's not what new yorkers are asking me every day and i think those of us who are in the echo chamber that like to hear stories over and over again as a mayor i'm not participating in that i have to deal with violence i have to deal with homelessness i have to deal with real issues that are facing new yorkers i did a full conversation on that and when my tax information is released people will look at that but i'm not going to have that conversation every day i got real issues in this city and the voters of this city they want me to address those real issues. Okay. And look, I understand that you have talked about it before. We, did, we thought it was uh, fair to ask you about it, to give you another opportunity to talk about it if you wanted to. The same goes for uh, the advice that uh, the Conflicts of Interest Board would give to your appointees about potential conflicts. Uh, that's something that you've talked about. In the general context of being a transparent mayor, is that something that we can look forward to, uh, to seeing the release of those documents? I didn't hear that about the conflict. What is it about the conflict of interest board? I didn't hear that. Uh, the conflict of interest board gives advice to your appointees about potential conflicts they may uh, they may encounter uh, in in your service or in the service of the city. Those documents have not been made public. Uh, is that something that we can expect to see made public going forward? Advisory opinions uh, to your appointees. Uh, I'm, I'm, you totally lost me on that. I filed my conflict of interest board documentation every year is there something that we're supposed to release that has not been released because if it is uh we will immediately release and i don't know i'm not aware of anything of that we're supposed to release to the public that we have not released this is the first time i'm hearing that Okay, yeah, this this would be advisory opinions given to uh, two appointees, two members of the cabinet. The uh, conflict of interest board gives advice uh, in the form of a letter to uh, members of your cabinet, uh, and uh, we have not been able to see those made public. Those letters, not to you, but to people who are uh, your advisors. Well, let me make it clear. Uh, we have one of the best conflicts conflict of interest board systems in our city. They give us clear directions on what we're supposed to do and not supposed to do. We're going to abide by all those rules. And if some, someone is not turning over information that we're required to do so, that will be immediately addressed. And I am not aware of any information that our agency is supposed to turn over that there's a delay in doing so. If there's something specific we didn't do, uh, please communicate with my legal team. Uh, Brendan is my lawyer, and we will make sure that it is addressed because we're not going to withhold anything we're required to turn over. And, Mayor, we're going to have to wrap up. I'm going to ask you one final question and on a, a lighter note. I will be seeing you on Saturday night at the Inner Circle when media performs and then you perform. Give us just a preview of what New Yorkers can expect to see from you on Saturday night at the Inner Circle. Uh, no, I can't. That would tell what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's the of the show. Well, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have a lot of laughs and enjoy ourselves.